hi guys. Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, I was thinking on the way down the road um, how long I've kind of been connected with CE in Portadown. Maybe 2005, 2006, I showed up with a group from Philadelphia, and then that started a whole relationship that thankfully is still going. It's great to hear you guys are heading out to, to Philly. I'd just like to welcome you up to Port Stewart anytime in the summer. We'd love to see you out there. Um, yeah, we've been up there for about a year now, and God's just doing really great things on the North Coast, and yeah, you'd be very welcome to, to join us. So it's great that you're working through this series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's kind of an intriguing choice, and I wondered if I was doing the right thing, even in the verses that, that Henry sent me. Uh, hopefully by now you've had a chance to dip into uh, Proverbs yourself, and admittedly it seems a wee bit kind of haphazard or disjointed, uh, but the basic message of Proverbs is this, that you and I need to get wisdom. And that, that basic challenge is repeated all the way through the books. We, we need to get wisdom, we need to love wisdom, hold it, prize it, pursue it, keep it. But why? Why do we need wisdom? Well, first of all, we need wisdom because the Bible says that sin has made us foolish. I know we don't want to hear that, it's kind of offensive, but it's the truth. We like to think we're decent people, that we have it all together. But the Bible is pretty straightforward about the fact that, no, we're, we're actually a mess. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. In other words, look out the window, breathe, enjoy the good things of life, and you know that God is real. And yet... Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People knew God, we knew God, and yet we take that knowledge and we shove it away, we deny it, we deny him, we try to replace him. This is the foolishness of sin. And that's why the Bible's trying to impart wisdom to us, not just in Proverbs, but the whole way through. Another reason why we need wisdom is because, like it or not, the world is discipling us. Hopefully by now some of you have had a chance to pick up a great book out there called Resilient Disciples by Rick Hill. He says this, he says, we're all being discipled by something, whether we're aware of it or not. Each of us is being formed and transformed. We are disciples of someone or something, either by accident or intention. The kingdom of self conditions us to think that the world is all about our needs, our desires, our rights. The kingdom of consumerism pushes us to own things, to have, to, to spend, and, and to assume that if we have more stuff, we'll be happy. The kingdom of digital technology turns us into people at the screen. We become fixated by the next buzz of our phone over listening for the voice of God or the needs of others. Every moment of every day, we are being discipled. We're being conditioned by the world around us. And the world around us is lost. The world around us is broken and godless. And so again, the, the writer here to the Proverbs, Solomon, but also some others joining him, some of his contemporaries, they're trying to impart wisdom to us. But what is the wisdom that we're finding here tonight in chapter 30. Well, it seems here that uh, this guy that's writing, it isn't Solomon, it's one of his contemporaries, a guy called Agar, the son of Jackay. 
And he seems to be on a journey where he's putting in place uh, some foundational pieces of wisdom. Verses 1 to 3, we notice that he comes clean about his own limitations. He says that he's weary and that he's worn out. I don't know how you're feeling tonight, but I understand that, what it means to, to be weary, to come to the end of yourself. He, he acknowledges here that he doesn't have the physical strength or stamina to handle everything that life throws at him. He doesn't have the mental ability or the emotional capacity to, to carry all the burdens of life. And the truth is, none of us do. None of us. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds a bit depressing, but this is the way of wisdom. Really here, he's doing something courageous. He's acknowledging before God his limitations. He's confronting the fact that God is the creator and he's just a creature. He's not in the driving seat. He's not in control. And you know, guys, it's so important that we do that, that we recognize our place in the scheme of things and stop fooling ourselves. Remember the story right at the beginning of the Bible of Adam and Eve? how way back in the garden they kind of fooled themselves into thinking they could do life on their own terms according to their own strength and their own wisdom. And it was a train wreck. And it ended up isolating them from the one relationship that they were made for. And guys, it's the same with us. When I read these words here in Proverbs 30, I'm reminded of that uh, great prodigal son parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Remember the story of that guy, he's on the run, he's squandered all this wealth, he's hit rock bottom, and then we're told he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and he acknowledges, he, he confesses his sin, his weakness, his arrogance, and his pride. And this is what the Proverbs are doing for us. I wonder, have you done that yet? Or are you still running? Are you still filling yourself into thinking that you don't need God? Because you do. And here the oracle is showing us that God doesn't call us for perfection. He's got that sorted. He's holy. But he does call us to honesty. Honesty really is needed at the beginning of the Christian journey when we face up to the fact that we're all strugglers and we're all sinners but not just that, honesty is actually needed the whole way through the Christian life. Honesty and humility really are the fuel of true discipleship, where day and daily we recognize without Jesus, we can't do anything. In fact, without Jesus, we aren't anything, we're nothing. I wonder, do you feel your need of God? Do you feel the weariness of life? Do you feel the battles and the defeat that come with sin? Are you struggling? I know that I am. In fact, more and more as I follow Jesus, I find that my sense of neediness doesn't decrease, it increases. And really, it's only the fool who says in his heart that he doesn't need God. What arrogance. Here we're being shown the way of wisdom. Be real. Be real about your limitations. Book of James tells us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But secondly, after he's real before God, then the second thing, verse four, he, he stands in awe of God, in awe of God's power in all of creation. He's been looking in at himself, but now he looks out the window. 
And really he stands before the miracle of creation and the wonder of who God is and all he's done and he's just undone. He's just amazed. He's, he's in awe. I mean, what a God. He has formed and fashioned this world. Scott was saying earlier on that it's kind of sweet living up uh, on the North Coast. And it is. It's a, it's a beautiful part of the world. And I find so often just I'm confronted with the beauty of creation. And there's something amazing about the coast and the sea. It's a constant reminder of how small I am and how huge God is. And in a sense, that's where the oracle is. He's, he's getting how big God is, and he's, he's caught up in praise. He looks at God and his unrivaled strength and his unfathomable power. And really here, he's, he's recovering a sense of awe. Do you know, one of the things I think that's wrong in the church and in Christian circles today is that we have lost our sense of awe, our sense of, of wondering at who God is. Paul Tripp writes, we complain so much, not because we've horizontal problems, but because we've got a vertical problem. Only when awe of God rules our hearts will we be able to have joy, even when life and people disappoint us. Having awe means that your heart will be filled more with a sense of blessing than a sense of want. It means that you will be daily blown away by what you've been given rather than constantly disturbed by what you lack. You see, awe produces gratitude and gratitude instills joy, and the harvest of joy is contentment. When you get who God is, how awesome he is, even amidst your struggles and your weariness and the difficult things of life, it's a really good thing. And that's what's happening here with this oracle. He's discovering the, the beautiful reality of who God is. Of all God that's all God's done, not just in forming the world, but then in sending his son to save the world. You notice he says there, Who is this son? Who's his name? And we know the name of the Son. His name is Jesus. And the amazing truth of the Bible is that Jesus didn't just come down from the heavens, like we're told here in Proverbs, but then he was lifted up on the cross for sinners like you and me. Reading a great uh, book right now by a guy called Adam Ramsey. It's called Truth on Fire. He says this. He says, when I pay attention to God's world, I am assaulted with delight. When I stare into his word, I am reminded of his unmatchable wisdom. And when I look at the cross, I see his love on full display. There is greater likelihood of a bulldog mastering back or a cactus grasping quantum theory than there is of me plumbing the depth of who God is. Go ahead, stare at him, dumbstruck for a while, the magnificent otherness of God. God really is amazing. And it's true wisdom to recognize that and to recognize where we fit in the scheme of things. So he confesses his limits and he recovers this sense of awe in God. And then finally, verses 5 to 6, he steadies himself in what God has revealed. Look at what he says. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. This oracle's been on a journey. He's looked honestly at himself. He's looked out of the world. 
And now he's looking within the pages of Scripture. And what does he say we find in the Bible? We find truth. And I know that sounds so basic, but it's so important. In a world of fake news and spin, God has gifted us with truth. He has blessed us with a revelation which is like a solid rock that we can build our lives upon. And the oracle here tells us two simple things about the Bible. First of all, he says that God's truth is sufficient. It doesn't need added to. It gives us enough. And guys, that is so important because we live in a culture that's trying to convince us to discard the Bible, to to bin it. It's irrelevant. Think, for example, of the opening chapters of the Bible. What are we told? That God created us, that he made us male and female, and that he designed for us to be married, man and woman, in a lifelong union. And what does the world do? It takes all three of those basic truths and rejects them. Listen, guys, I know that you're facing these arguments all the time. But let's be absolutely clear on what the oracle's saying here. He's telling us, don't tinker with biblical truth. Don't add to it or subtract it. And don't apologize for it. Because when we open our Bible, we're not listening to the words of ancient men from a faraway time and place. These are the words of the living God. So we can't simply ignore them or pass over them or reject them as culturally redundant because it's out of step. The Bible is the wisdom of God, gifted for all people in all times. In an ever-changing world, God has given us truth that endures. He's given us a foundation to stand on. But not only is God's truth sufficient, God's truth is safety. Or rather, it leads us to the one who is safety, the one who will give us refuge and rest. I want to ask you tonight, what's your relationship look like with the Bible? Do you read it? Are you engaging with it? Do you know what truths it contains? Have you taken those truths to heart? You know, sometimes we don't really know how much of the Bible we've taken on board until we're faced with temptations or trials. This was the case in Jesus' life, wasn't it? Confronted by Satan in the wilderness, he was able to call upon the truths of Scripture. And he was able to use them as a sword to bring down the enemy and his lies. A number of years ago now, when I was about 18 or 19, uh, I ended up in a situation uh, that was pretty difficult. Uh, My family was in an armed robbery, and uh, myself and my parents were nearly killed. And... In that moment, uh, kind of faced with death and the death of my family, I've got to be really honest and tell you that a lot of the truth that I had stored up in my head trickled to my heart. And faced with the reality that I might die, I was filled with an overwhelming sense of relief. And one of the truths I called to mind was in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God. God's word is that powerful. His truth brings us to a place of shelter and safety, even in the craziest of situations, and even in the most terrible storms. So this is the wisdom that 
the oracle the Bible has for us tonight. We need to humble ourselves, be honest about our limits. We need to recover awe in God. He's amazing in creation, and he's overwhelmingly good in salvation. And we need to steady ourselves in the sufficiency of what he's given us. He's given us the truth of his word. You know, wisdom's a funny thing. In a sense, what the oracle's telling us here and what I've said tonight is not rocket science, is it? It's pretty straightforward. It's obvious. These are the basics of the Christian faith. But what we need to understand here is that he's laying a foundation. And here's the thing about foundations. Foundations are not particularly impressive or that attractive, but they are so, so important. Because their foundations are what will keep you steady and standing when the pressures and the weight of life are heaped upon you. And so I want to ask you as I close, what do your foundations look like? Have you got some of these basic convictions in your life about who you are, about who God is, about what his word is all about? You see, we need to get things in place to wrestle with this stuff, to, to sort these things out so that when the storms of life come, we find ourselves in the situation of the wise man who built his house on the rock and avoided the foolishness of sinking sand. Let's pray together. Father, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth, that it's sufficient, that it leads us to you, the one who would be our shelter, who would be our salvation. And God, I pray for each and every one of us tonight that we would get wisdom, that we would pursue it and prize it and build our lives upon it. And Father, we thank you that wisdom isn't just a concept or a philosophy or, or a theology. We thank you ultimately the wisdom is a person and that his name is Jesus and that he's willing to come alongside fools like us messed up in all kinds of sin to reach in and to save us and to make us what we never thought we could be people under your praise and your glory. God, I just thank you for these guys and girls here. I thank you that they're here tonight when they could be other places. I thank you that they're hungry for you, for your word, and I pray for your ongoing work of grace in each one of them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.